Good morning, church family. Got some questions for you today as I start, and, and I just want you to respond by raising your hand. You don't have to, have to say anything out loud, but got some questions I want you to participate in. How many of you washed your hands today? Uh, those that don't have their hands up, those people you don't want to shake hands with? Uh, how many of you took a shower or a bath, let's say, in the last 24 hours? All right, good. That, that sounds good. How many of you, maybe it was yesterday, how many of you recently did one or more loads of laundry? I don't see many men's hands up. Oh, he did? Where'd he go, Brad? Oh, you did? All right, all right, over here. All right, good job. Three guys, we were doing pretty good. Uh, how many of you maybe washed your car or your truck this week? Not as many, a few of you have. Have you ever thought about how much water and effort we put into staying clean? But it doesn't last, does it? Tomorrow, you'll have to take another shower. The shirt that you've got on now, the blouse that you've got on now, it's probably going to get dirty at lunchtime. The, the car that you just washed and maybe even waxed, next week it's going to need another washing. It's going to be dirty again. We live in a dirty world and every day it is a struggle to stay clean. That's true in our faith too. You see, we as followers of Jesus Christ live in a dirty world. And every day it's a struggle to stay clean. Maybe you've got a bad relationship at work or in your family and you're, you're trying to do the right thing, but we live in a dirty world and it's hard to stay clean. Or maybe you have a friend that's invited you to a party and you know you have no business going there, but we live in a dirty world and it's hard to stay clean. Maybe every time you pick up your phone, there's that pull towards porn because we live in a very dirty world and it's a struggle to stay clean. Or, or maybe maintaining your sexual purity as, a, as with your boyfriend or your girlfriend is something that you want in your, in your heart, but your head is telling you something else, and your boyfriend or your girlfriend is telling you something else. We live in a dirty world, and it's, it's hard to stay clean. And, but God has given us a name for what He wants us to do and the way that He wants us to live as we try to live a clean life in a dirty world. And the name that God has given to that is the name Holiness. Now don't let that word turn you off. Holiness sounds pretty unrealistic and, and maybe even impractical. Holiness sounds very restrictive and it sounds very boring sometimes. Holiness sounds like someone maybe has a holier-than-thou attitude. That's not what holiness is at all. In fact, in the Bible, there's actually two aspects to biblical holiness. If you're taking notes, I want to make sure you get this down. There, there are two aspects to biblical holiness. First of all, there's what's called positional holiness. And I, I can show you this in the Bible. Would you open to Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 says this. And by that will, watch this, get your pen ready, we have been made holy. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The Bible says that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been made holy. You might want to underline that. We are made holy in God's sight by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
You see, when you put your personal trust in Christ for salvation, when you trust in Christ alone, here's what happens. God transfers to your account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're made holy, not through our holiness. We are made holy through the holiness of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen to that? Made holy through the holiness of Jesus Christ. Now, if we're honest with one another, that almost sounds like a fraud, doesn't it? Because we know we're not holy. And yet the Bible says we've been made holy. But deep down, we know we're not holy. We know we're not righteous. But listen to me. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The righteousness of Jesus becomes ours by faith. You see, this is not a fraud. The transaction is real. The righteousness of Jesus really is put into our account when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And God sees us as righteous and holy because we've been covered with the righteousness and holiness of Jesus. I want to show you this in Scripture. Go over to the left. Put your finger in Hebrews. We're going to come back to that. Go over to the left and find the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And notice these next two words, in Christ. That is, everything that God has given you, every blessing that God has given you, has come through Jesus Christ. It is in Christ Jesus that He blesses us. And then watch the next verse. For He chose us in Him, that is in Jesus, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. That God has chosen, He has ordained it, that we would be holy and blameless, but watch this, in His sight. That is, when you look at yourself, you may not see holiness. When you look in the mirror, you may not see holiness. But praise God, here's positional holiness. When God looks at you, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done on the cross, then the righteousness of Jesus has been placed into your account. The holiness of Jesus has been placed into your account so that when God looks at you in God's sight, He sees you as righteous and holy. My goodness, we should have put a amen there. That's positional holiness. Positional holiness. There's a second aspect of holiness I want you to understand. That's practical holiness. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today is practical holiness. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10 again, please. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. It says, Because by one sacrifice He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now in verse 10 He says we're made holy. But in verse 14, he talks about those who are being made holy. In verse 10, he's talking about positional holiness. In verse 14, he's talking about practical holiness. That is, he's talking about becoming holy in our daily living. Those who are being made holy, he's talking about those who have been, are becoming holy in their daily living. Or to put it another way, practical holiness is something that we work at. Practical holiness is something that we have a part in through the decisions that we make and the things that we do hour by hour and day by day. But how do we do that? 
How do we practically speaking live a holy life at home and a holy life at school and a holy life at work? How, practically speaking, how do we work this out? Well, thankfully, he answers, God answers this question for us in the book of 1 Peter. If you go over to 1 Peter chapter 1, over to the right. 1 Peter chapter 1. And this will really be our text today. In these verses, Peter paints a picture of what God envisions for your life. What is it that, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what is it that God envisions for your life? Number one, Peter tells us to live a holy life by living an obedient life. This is what God envisions for you. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to live a holy life by living an obedient life. Let me show you in the text. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And now look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Peter, Peter is saying here, he's reminding his readers of what they were before they trusted Christ. There was a time, he said, when you, quote, lived in ignorance. Peter was saying there was a time when you lacked the knowledge you now have. There was a time when you sinned out of ignorance because you didn't know any better. You see, before you were saved, it was natural for you to live a sinful lifestyle because you had a sinful nature. You didn't know any better. You were living in ignorance, to use the terminology of Peter. Now, <clears throat> those of you who have had heart bypass surgery, you can probably relate to living in ignorance. See, there was a time when you lacked the knowledge you now have. Remember the good old days when you could eat anything you wanted? Remember those good old days when you could eat fried chicken and green beans with fat back and bacon and sausage and fried potatoes and country ham? Kind of making you hungry, isn't it? Yeah. But here's what happened. Here's what happened. You were living in ignorance. And your ignorance led to indulgence. And your indulgence led to clogged arteries and heart disease. Then you had bypass surgery. And the surgeon said to you, you're going to have to change the way you eat. You, you can no longer eat the, the way you once did when you didn't know any better. Therefore, if it tastes good, spit it out. You can no longer live in ignorance. You can't live the way you used to live before you knew this. You know it now. So now you have to change your behavior. That's what Peter is saying to the believers he's writing to. There was a time when you sinned because you didn't know any better. But now you have a, a new set of knowledge. Now you have new information. Now you have a relationship with God. Now Jesus has given you a new heart. So now you need to change the way that you're living. You once sinned out of ignorance, but now when you sin, you sin out of disobedience. So If you want to live a holy life, Here's where it starts. Verse 14, watch this. Make sure you mark this. As obedient children. In other words, you're going to do this not because you want to. You're going to do this because you're trying to be obedient. You're going to make hard decisions not because you want to make them, but you're going to make these decisions because you're trying to be obedient. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now get this, make sure you get this. Holiness is not a matter of being pious. Holiness is a matter of being obedient. 
it's time to stop saying that we are defeated by this sin or that sin. We are not defeated. We are simply being disobedient. When you live a holy life, here's what it is. Living a holy life is simply choosing, choosing to live an obedient life. I can't stress that enough. That the pathway to holiness is the pathway of obedience. Because you say so, Lord. That's what Peter said last week. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Because you say so, it's obedience. Holiness comes from obedience. A.W. Tozer said this so well. I love what he said. He said, the holy man is not one who cannot sin. A holy man is one who will not sin. A holy man, a holy woman, it's not somebody who can't sin. It's somebody who chooses obedience. They choose not to sin. They choose to say, I'm going to be obedient to my heavenly Father in this area of my life. And when the Holy Spirit puts something on my radar and shows me that it's wrong, I'm going to be obedient to my heavenly Father. I'm going to be obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be obedient to what God shows me in His Word. So you live a holy life of being living an obedient life. Number two, live a holy life because you serve a holy God. Look at verse 15 and 16. But just as He has called you as holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The argument here is logical and simple. That children inherit the nature of their parents. I mean, we say this all the time. We say things like, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. What are we saying when we say that? We're simply saying, she's a lot like her mama. Or he's a lot like his daddy. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Or we'll say, he's a mini-me. Or she's a mini-me. In other words, that child of mine is so much like me because children inherit the nature of their parents. Listen, your heavenly Father is holy. Therefore, if you're one of His children, you should be seeking to live a holy life as well because children inherit the nature of their parents. Now, let me remind you that the Greek word here is the word hagios. I told you this in the first message, that both in the Old and New Testament, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, that the word for holy simply means different. God is different from us. He's holy. He's different from us. He's in a class all by himself. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2 says, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. There is no one holy like the Lord. He is different from us. He is, we might use the word, other. To be holy is to be other. It is to be different in a special way. It's interesting that the things associated with God also become holy. You remember in Exodus 3, Moses went to the burning bush and God said, Moses, take off your shoes because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. You know why that ground was holy ground? It's because God was associated with it. It was just regular dirt. There's nothing special about that dirt. It was just regular ground. But when the presence of God came there, when God was associated with it, God made that regular dirt, that regular ground, holy ground. Because He is a holy God. And wherever He is, the things associated with Him also become holy. Does that make sense to anybody? It's holy ground. Listen to this. 
these things are not holy in and of themselves. They're holy because God makes them holy. The temple, for example. The temple's a building in the Old Testament, in, in the days of the New Testament. The temple was a building. But the reason it was holy is because God made it different from the other buildings. The Sabbath was holy. God made it different from other days. And the Christian is also to be holy. God made you different from other people. You see, holy can also be translated set apart. Because something is different, it is set apart for a particular use. It's separated from the commonplace and consecrated to the Lord. For his use. That's why the, sim- the temple was set apart for particular use. It was not to be used as, a, as some other use, but it was to be used for God. It was set apart, dedicated for his use. That's why this Sabbath is set apart for a particular use. It was dedicated to God. That's why you, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you are set apart. Your life is different. You're set apart, dedicated to God. We are called to live a holy life because the one we serve is holy. I'm going to tell you number three, this is the hardest one of them all. Live a holy life in every area of your life. Paul says you need to live, or Peter says you need to live a holy life in every area of your life. This one may be the hardest of all because we want to compartmentalize our lives, don't we? We, we, we do it something like this. We have church life. We have business life. We have home life. We have personal life. We've we, we got all these little areas and these, are, these compartments make up our life. We act as if, we act as if what we do in one area is, does not affect the other area. I actually heard a businessman one time say, this is business and that is church and those two don't have anything to do with one another. I beg to differ. I want to show you, not from what Keith says, I want to show you the authority of God's Word, what God says about this. Look in verse 15. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. It doesn't say, so be holy when you go to church on Sunday. It doesn't say, be holy in your spiritual life. It says, be holy in all that you do. You know what all that you do means? It means all that you do. How you do business should be affected by your desire to live a holy life. How you do marriage should be shaped by your desire to be a holy husband or wife. How you do dating should be shaped by your desire to live a holy life. How you do college should be shaped by your desire to live a holy life. Peter says, listen... If you're going to live holy, a holy life, it has to be in all of your life. In everything that you do. It's a clear from this statement that God is making a demand on you. And He's making a demand on me. Look at verse 15 again. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy. Be holy. Look at that phrase. Be holy. He's talking about what you do. Not what you think. Not what you say you believe. But the phrase, be holy, is talking about action. It's talking about how you live your life. It's talking about the decisions that you make tomorrow. It's talking about the way that you conduct yourself tomorrow. Be holy. It's talking about the action you will take, the decisions you will make. Be holy, he says, in all 
that you do. Write down this reference. I'll read the verse to you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Someone said God would be, far, God would be less than God if he called us to a lesser standard. I love that. Now, everybody look at your pastor for a moment. That doesn't mean you're going to live a sinless life. If you live a holy life, it doesn't mean you'll live a perfect life. Holiness is not a matter of not sinning. If that were the case, holiness would be an unreachable goal for all of us. Holiness is a matter of ready repentance when you do sin. Here's what I mean by that. We seek to live for God every day. We seek to live for God every way. But in, sometimes we're going to fail. Sometimes we're going to make the wrong decision. Sometimes we're going to do the wrong thing. And in those times, and the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, if we are quick to repent, it will restore that holy lifestyle of seeking to please the Lord. You see, practical holiness is rooted in repentance. I mean, remember Isaiah in the first message in this series? Remember Isaiah in the temple? He was driven to brokenness and confession and repentance. And that's really the pattern for us too. To repent means literally to change your mind and to turn around. You were going north, now you're going to go south because you're wanting to abandon what you've been seeking and instead turn back to God. That's repentance. And if we're going to experience God's presence in our lives on a daily basis, it will be because of a lifestyle of repentance, a readiness to repent when God shows us our sin. Erwin Lutzer said this, He said, although we become Christians instantaneously by faith in Christ, there are no shortcuts to maturity. It takes time to be holy. You know what he's saying? He's saying keep striving for it. Don't give up on it, but you're not going to make it tomorrow. Keep striving for it, but you're going to mess up somewhere down the road. But when you mess up, keep striving for it. Keep going back seeking Him. Keep returning to Him. Let there be a readiness to repent so that you can live a holy lifestyle, an obedient lifestyle. Let me give you some benefits and then we're going to be done. Some benefits of living a holy lifestyle because there are some, there are some benefits to living a, life in, a holy life in every area of your life. And I don't have time to really go over these very deeply, but let me mention them to you. If you try to live a holy life in in every area of your life, here are the benefits. Number one, intimacy with God. You really seek to be holy. If you really seek to live a life where you're seeking Him, doesn't it make sense you're going to have an intimacy with God like you've never known before? If there's a readiness to repent when you fail, if there's a readiness to turn away from anything God points His finger at, if there's a readiness to say, Lord, I will let go of that, I will turn away from that, I will make that decision, if there's a readiness in your spirit to say, you show me how you want me to live, and I'm going to live that way, and when you're seeking God in that way, there will be an intimacy with Him perhaps you've never known before. Second benefit is this, freedom from sin. Freedom from sin because in your spirit you're trying to be obedient. As an obedient child, you're trying to live in a way that would honor the Lord. You're you're trying to say, yes, Lord. And so whenever you say, yes, Lord, 
That's saying, I'm going to live the way you want me to. And again, there's that readiness to turn away from anything that doesn't honor you. And that readiness to make the hard decision. And the readiness to repent and walk in fellowship with you. And you'll find freedom from sin because you're turning away from sin to seek Him. You'll find freedom from sin. That thing that has held you in bondage for so long. That thing that you haven't been able to give up. You know why? Because so many times we're trying to live on both sides of the fence. You'll never find freedom in sin living on both sides of the fence. You'll only find freedom from sin when you decide, I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to turn away from this sin. I'm going to be done with it. I'm going to obey Him. And when there is that readiness to repent that way and truly turn back to the Lord, There'll be a freedom from sin like you've never known. Number three, there'll be a usefulness for God's purpose. You'll suddenly find yourself doing things perhaps you never thought you'd do. You'll suddenly find that God's putting opportunities in your path you never dreamed He would. You'll suddenly find joy in serving the Lord because all of a sudden you feel like you've got a purpose. You feel like you're useful now to the Lord and to His kingdom. Because watch this. A holy God can use any kind of a vessel except a dirty one. He can use any shape, any size, any age, any kind of a vessel except a dirty one. When you decide I'm going to live a holy life because I serve a holy God, all of a sudden your life will become usable. In his holy hands. That makes sense? Life will become usable in his holy hands. And so what I'm asking you today is what decision do you need to make? What decision do you need to make in order to pursue holiness? I can promise you it probably will be a decision of obedience. And it likely will be a decision of repentance. In what area of your life do you need to obey Him? In what area of your life do you need to repent? It's going to involve those two things. But you will either walk in disobedience or you will walk in holiness. And the decision is yours. But I can tell you what your Heavenly Father says. Your Heavenly Father says, be holy because I am holy. Not be holy on Sundays. Be holy in all that you do. Be holy in the way you do your business. Be holy in the way you treat others. Be holy in the way you treat your body. Be holy in the, in the things that you do on the phone. Be holy in the places that you go. Be holy in all that you do. So what decision do you need to make today? It'll be a decision about obedience. It'll be a decision about repentance. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would draw us closer to you and that we would seek to be a holy people because we serve a holy God. And it's in his blessed and holy name that I pray. Amen.